Hello, everyone. Welcome to Seek Go Create. This is Tim Winders, your host. This is where we discuss leadership, business. Sometimes we bring ministry in. And the big topic is redefining success. We kind of take the, the normal conversation around success and we just shake it up and mix it up. And today I've got someone who's in a total other part of the world, Mauritius, uh, opposite end of the world from where I'm at. And we're going to be talking a lot about disruption and being a disruptor. And I'm excited about having that conversation because I believe that that is the type people that will be successful in the world we're seeing because the world is being disrupted all around us. So we'll get to that in just a moment. I want to remind everyone, if you have not visited our SeekGoCreate.com webpage, make sure you do that. We've got extensive notes on all that we do. We've got links if we discuss books or if we even discuss videos or, or anything during this conversation. The people that take our notes and transcribe will actually put links so that you could go back and reference those. Also, timestamps so that if we have a discussion about disruptive leadership sometime about 30 minutes into this conversation, you can go back and click on that, and it'll take you right back to that conversation where we had, uh, where that started. So make sure you go to SeekGoCreate.com and check out all of our notes. Scroll down to the bottom and opt in and give us your best email address so that you can stay connected with us at Seek. Go create. Today we have Manish Bundan as our guest, and he calls himself a corporate monk with expertise in human resources, change, communications, culture, coaching, engagement, facilitation, strategy, and leadership, and all types of things. Manish, welcome to Seek Go Create. Thank you, Tim. It's my pleasure to be with you today on Seek Go Create. Yeah, those were a lot of words right there. And we might be getting into some of those, but I, I want to ask you first, if you and I bumped into each other and I say, what do you do? Do you use all those words or what do you tell people? What would you tell me if I asked you what you do? Okay, um, I would simplify it. You know, uh, what you just read was, um, you know, when you, you have a LinkedIn profile, you put up your, uh, the, the, the nice words that people want to, to, to look nice about it. So the way I, I simply simplify, say it is I'm someone who helps people um, to excel, grow, and thrive in whatever they do, especially in the work context. That's why I'm in the field of human resources, coaching, and change. Right, and we and, and I see, for those that are watching the video, they, they can see your two books that are over your left shoulder there, and we'll talk about those in just a moment. I've just finished reading the book Disruptor, which I think is your most recent book. And we'll talk about that shortly. But there's a few things every time I get um, people's bios that come across our desk that uh, may want to have conversations with us on Seek Create. I, I've got all these curiosity fireworks that are going off in my head. And there's a few of them that were exploding very loud when I saw your information. The first one is just the fascination of communicating with people in other parts of the world. So first thing I'd love for you to do is just share with us where you are. You've, I think you live there, maybe you've grown up there, and just educate those of us that know nothing about that area. Sure. So I come from the tropical island of Mauritius, um, and as I mentioned when I introduced what uh, to you Mauritius, uh, Mauritius is, for those in the States, let's say we call it the Hawaii of the Indian Ocean. So where we are situated... Um, we are just off the coast of Madagascar, um, and it's a tropical island of around uh, 1,000 square kilometers, 
with uh, a population of 1.3 million people. And uh, it's a very diverse population. We have people from um, European origin, from Indian origin, from Chinese origin, and from African origin um, living and working here. So it, it is a melting pot of cultures, I would say. And, and we speak uh, a couple of languages. Um, English and French are the official languages. Plus we have a local language. It's a Creole, a bit like Haiti. Uh, we, we, we talk Creole and at least we talk, a lot of us talk at least one Asian language. For example, I talk Hindi from India. I'm um, a fifth generation Indian here living here. So, um, so most of us talk three to four languages. You know, it's interesting and I don't know if, I don't know if this is healthy or not, but being kind of United States centric, I find that many of us really don't get educated about other cultures and, and, and environments and things like that. I like to ask people from your perspective, because you're in the business world, you're in leadership, you obviously interact with quite a bit of business in the United States. What is it that, what's the one or two things that you wish people from the United States understood more about maybe your culture or cultures outside the United States? Well, uh, it's, a, it's a fair point. The fact that, for example, when I meet people from the States, the question we have often asked is, where are you from? And I will normally reply, I'm from Mauritius, and th th that's my country where I come from, from this part of the world. And the people from the States will, will never tell me I'm from the United States. They'll tell me I'm from North Dakota or I'm from California. So I was like, okay, uh, or else you'll even tell me their town, thinking, well, I'm supposed to know where the town is. And they get quite, a, quite surprised when I say, oh, um, and actually, where is that in the United States? Excuse my geography there. Um, so, and some people then say, oh, you don't know where it is? I said, no, unfortunately, I know the global map, but I don't have a view of the, of the United States map. So maybe it, it's good indeed to have an outward mindset is really looking at it from an outside-in perspective that uh, the world is made of so many 198 countries, so it's good to have uh, a view of uh, the diversity out there. Yeah, and another thing that was fascinating to me when I was doing just a little bit of research on, on the organization you're with, and I may have you describe it and tell a little bit more because it's fascinating. I am kind of a business junkie. I follow a lot of things, and you're from a large organization and I, and I was a little embarrassed that I had never heard of it, had never run across it, and it really emphasized the point that you just made, and that is that sometimes in the United States we put ourselves in this little bubble, and we assume that everyone knows all about us, but we don't really take the time to get educated about others. And I, I think that's to our detriment, by the way. But give us some information. I mean, you do a little bit in your book. You go over a little bit of background. I mean, it's been around for years and and has a wide reach. So tell us a little bit about the organization you're with and you know, anything that you want to share that might be helpful for us. Sure. Um, so I work with the Rogers Group. So Rogers is um, an old company. Well, I would say 120 20 years young company. Uh, it was set. It was um, set up in 1899. So you can imagine it goes. It dates uh, two centuries already. Uh, the the past. Uh, it's seen. It's seen two centuries, and um, so it's a diversified group in hospitality, in logistics, in aviation, in financial services, and property. 
Um, and we operate over 12 countries in the region. So Mauritius is the headquarters, but we have operations mainly in the Indian Ocean region. Um, so all the way up to France, though, and uh, we have a presence in Eastern Africa, Southern Africa, and India. So that, that's a bit our, play, our playground, if we if you can call it like that. And it's also been an organization which has participated a lot in the concept of nation building. So, um, so Rogers has been uh, one of the key players in building the local economy, uh, starting new businesses and new industries, uh, which has helped um, grow the country as well. So a big part of what we do is, is really supporting the, the economies where we operate in. Yeah, one thing that's fascinating, and and what's the what's the size? I think I saw five thousand. Five thousand. What's the people. number of? And and you are with HR, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm with HR. Um, been in the group for fifteen years now, and head of HR for the group for the past twelve years. Yeah. So with, you just mentioned some countries in Eastern Africa, Europe, obviously in the Indian, you know, the Indian region there, the Indian Ocean region. What are some of the challenges? I mean, obviously, those are some probably fairly diverse cultures, some diverse mindsets, some thought processes, just a, a lot of issues that would be diverse. Specifically to HR, what are some of the challenges that you face in dealing with the, all of those different regions and countries? Well, the number one challenge is not regional, but global, is talent. You know, the, the war for talent, especially after the pandemic, um, has uh, exacerbated. It's it's gone, it's gone up by a few notches. And uh, today, finding talent to work with you and to retain and engage talent is a major challenge. Um, so not only in this part of the world, but we we're facing the same issues as Europe, in a sense. If you take hospitality, it's getting more and more difficult to find people to work in the hospitality sector. So um, as well as the fact that. Uh, so talent, in that sense, attracting and retaining talent, but also uh, finding ways to engage people now um, in a new normal, let's call it that way, as uh, more and more of younger generations in the workplace are looking for purpose, for meaning, for work-life integration. Um, so, and organizations everywhere have to adapt to that. So that's one of the key challenges that's uh, on uh, the HR agenda for me. You know, what's interesting is you brought up, obviously, the pandemic is, you know, we are hopeful that we are all moving away from that. But you said you had been with the organization for 15 years and in your role for 12, I think, if I remember that correctly, yeah. which means that that stretches back to what many would say would be one of the last um, worldwide or issues that we had, which was the 2008 um, yeah. financial crisis. And so I'd love for you to just kind of real quick just contrast those two and, and maybe talk about a little bit of the middle ground because I've heard that. We, we've interviewed a number of people, managed that have talked about finding talent, you know, keeping people, keeping them involved, which I think is something we're going to discuss. And probably it's something that you address in your, uh, you know, in your book, Disruptor, because you talk about the abilities of the agile leader. And uh, and and we'll, we're going to dig a little bit more on that word agile because I think it's important for us to discuss that. But talk, kind of go backwards in time for me. Talk about some of the things you saw then, and I'd like to know if this was really, 
an issue with the pandemic or did the pandemic just accelerate it? I guess that's kind of where I'm trying to go without putting words in your mouth. And if it's something different, let me know. Yeah, I think um, my, my quick answer, just, and then I'll broaden it, is the pandemic has uh, been a portal for transformation for a lot of people. Uh, it's awakened people to um, a stronger sense of purpose, because uh, then when you face such issues on a mass scale level in terms of safety, security for yourself, for your family, for your health, for your organization, for your business, it really focuses you on really, okay, so what really matters to me? Um, so quality time, my, uh, how am I spending my time? Uh, am I being, uh, being able to add value in the way I, I want to? So it's triggered a lot of questions in people, especially in younger generations. I would say Gen Y, uh, to start with, who are today Gen Y, um, are the ones who are in management positions, leadership positions, or you can say Gen, Gen, Gen X more. But, uh, in the Gen Y population, they're really starting to, they've started to ask themselves these questions, um, and, uh, taking calls. So we've talked about the great uh, resignation, great migration, great realignment, whatever name it has been called. And now people are talk, also talking about quiet quitting, um, which for me is nothing new. It's uh, it's always been there. Um, it's another term for presentation. But um, coming back to this point, the, the pandemic has been a portal for transformation for people and businesses. For businesses trying to get more lean, more uh, efficient, and for people, um, finding more meaning into what they're doing. So, and this has created uh, um, a divide between what organizations offer today and what people are looking for. So in 2008, now if I do the parallel, um, the, the, the comparison actually, in 2008, it was really about um, reducing your cost in order to be able to survive the wave thinking, well, you know, um, it's an economic crisis, so um, we, are, we will have to, um, re, um, to um, find ways to defend our organizations to us to be able to, to ride it, to ride the wave. But this time, the pandemic has not only been a, an, uh, a, um, an economic crisis, but it's also been a sanitary health crisis and a social crisis on, 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 on top of that. So this... And also it has impacted a younger generation. So especially Gen Y, Gen Z joining the workforce then now is, um, so 15 years later, if you look at it, a new generation. So you have much more diversity in the workplace and the cross-generational management is more of a challenge. And each generation having uh, very different needs that they are, that, that drives them. So that kind of complexity has uh, forced is I think that the rate of change has increased even more compared to 2008. Mm. So what's fascinating about that, you brought up that organizations are attempting to get more lean. And uh, I'm an industrial engineer, industrial and systems engineer. So efficiency, doing more with less, all of those are kind of baked into my ethos. And that's, uh, you know, a lot of what we see in business. But I just had this thought while you were talking, and I want to ask the question, Manish. Have, have we possibly attempted to go too lean, to go too effective, to go too efficient? Because this generation that's coming in now, 
they want relationship, they want experience, they want, you know, they want to enjoy life. Where my generation, I'm in my late fifties, you know, we just worked, <laughs> you know, we, sure. and yeah. uh, and and then I guess so. Uh, respond to that, and then I want to ask a follow up related to that. But I mean, are, are we are we are we trying to be are we trying too hard to be lean? I agree. Um, in fact, the, the whole drive towards operational efficiency, um, organizations have reached a point where it doesn't connect to people anymore. So a lot of people say, yeah, so what's the point of it? Um, if if it, your organization is not meant to serve people, not meant to serve the planet, just meant to create more wealth for a few shareholders, then it's not for me. So they, it's created that disconnect, especially with younger generations. Um, so I think, yeah, we've reached a point where we need to reassess and relook at what organizations, what's the real purpose of it and how uh, are organizations as vehicles for positive impact. Yeah, and, and so that leads to my follow-up, which is typically we have always looked at ROI and that return on investment has had a, had a dollar sign with it. You know, it all, you know, I just went through a budget type situation with a client and it was very dollars and cents and a lot of people are upset now because of the way some of that was discussed and it, it's just dollars and cents it's numbers on paper but the fascinating thing is that when we talk about capital and we talk about resources you being the human resources person this is why I'm going to ask you how do we begin integrating the ROI of that human capital into and integrating that into the conversation, especially with generations like mine, that you know we kind of don't know how to incorporate that into our thought process. I mean, I'm asking the questions, trying to learn, but how how do we do that? I mean, it's probably no easy answers. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So first thing is um, you mentioned the word the term human capital. Yeah. I find the term personally um, quite impersonal. <laughs> Talking about people as capital, you know. So yeah, human resources also that's also a bit of um, a bit slightly less impersonal, but for me it's really people. So it has to be people, the people function, um, and people are the center of the organization from two angles: one from uh, your employees, um, the ones who are creating the value, and the, on the other side, your customers for whom you are creating the value. So really, how do we tie in the people equation? That's central to to any organization. Um, and the ones who are going to be able to thrive in today's world are the ones who will master the people equation from both sides, the customer experience as well as the employee experience. Let's say, let's call it the talent experience, how you're able to attract talent, how you're able to grow talent, and how you're able to engage your talents uh, from, I would call it, the human resources perspective. The ones who are able to differentiate themselves on that are, going, are the ones who are going to win uh, in this um, age, DNH. Yeah, and, and and I appreciate you correcting me. The, the term human capital is a very somewhat of a crass statement. In fact, like you said, human resources could be also. I've actually been around organizations, done some work with some out of Silicon Valley and other places where they have taken the step to change your role and the title that you have to something like people or something yeah. like that. I don't know that I've seen that they've changed a lot of their processes and systems. They've just changed that name there. Yeah. So so what, as far as what we have traditionally called HR, 
and this might be a little bit of a crystal ball, but what are some other things that we might tend to see as trends in the future that are shifts and changes to start addressing some of these issues? So, as you mentioned, um, people, that's the way forward. Uh, we've, we've made this change this year. Um, so starting from last year, we're shifting, transforming the function, which includes also revisiting our key processes about uh, how do we make it more people-centric? How do you create um, three, three elements around people operations? So the services, the solutions you find, you provide from a people's perspective to your organization. Uh, people development angle, that's number two, and people experience angle, that's number three. So how do you create um, a people development um, perspective or, or, or elements which allow people to come and join you and grow with you. And the third dimension is people experience. So how you create an experience uh, like uh, you feel part of a community where you feel included, where you feel um, it's a thriving community where you, you feel you belong. You know? So that's where, that, for me, that's the way forward uh, in terms of uh, redefining um, the, this function. And secondly, HR, when you use the term HR, is often synonymous to a bit like policing. You know, it's policing in terms of HR policies. Uh, when you when HR, you talk to HR, it's, it's about hiring, firing, or uh, having a, a straight conversation or tough conversation. So it's really changing that perspective to be a bit more focused on the person. Mm. Yeah, because because many times, many times the HR, the traditional HR organizations. I don't want to say they're somewhat of a policing organization, but some of them have become that where if there's harassment or things like that, that's when, quote unquote, HR gets involved or when someone is hired or fired. And so I do like what you're saying, that it's more of this this human experience while they're in and around the organization. And and are is it tough to move that? ship that's been sailing a certain way for a while and kind of get it moving in that other direction? I mean, you said your organization has been around since 1899. They probably have some of those human resource tendencies there. You're head of that part of it, and you're making that shift. How challenging is it, and what are some things you could teach us about making those changes for, sure. And also, I'd love, I'd love for you to address possibly some smaller companies. We have a lot of smaller business owners, if you've got some tips with related to that, too. Yeah. So the good news is, well, Rogers, uh, is, we are a big group, but we have a lot of diverse activities. So it's a conglomerate. We have small to medium enterprises as well. So what I'm, what I'm going to share will answer for that community as well. Um, to me, it's really about culture. Yeah. So how do you shape your culture? And it's not changing culture, but it's more shaping the culture in an evolutionary way. Because it's very difficult to transform culture overnight. So it really has to be an evolution rather than a revolution. So that's number one. So how do you evolve with your times? Secondly, leadership is culture. So it really comes from the center of the organization. If you want to drive those kind of new behaviors and shift, it really has you really need to walk the talk as leaders. So um, you must have heard of the, the famous, um, there's a famous cartoon where uh, there's an orator in front of a lot of people saying, who wants to change? Everyone raises their hand. And then the second question is, who wants to change? And only a few people raise their hand. And then who wants to lead the change? No one raises their hand. So um, 
and and that's very important. So leading the change comes from the center, from the leadership team first. That is self-leadership leading by example. Um, so embodying the change so that people can see and model it uh, before going to change or anything else like structure, processes. It really has to be uh, a walk the talk by the leaders. Yeah, so so this, this allows me to kind of shift to the, one of the words in your, uh, I think it was your LinkedIn profile, that's that term corporate monk, which is not typically words people put together. And so I've got to ask you about the origin of that. Is that is that self-titled? Has someone called you that? Did you go to school for that? Where do, where does one get training to be a corporate monk? <laughs> well, there's no training. It's more uh, a way of life, a way of being. So for me, um, I meditate um, quite a bit, um, if you look at it. So for me, it's really applying the whole concept of mindfulness as well as um, clarity of mind to whatever I do. So, um, so that's where for me, my, my, my playground is the corporate world. So I'm, I'm passionate about igniting the spark of transformation in people, especially helping people to grow and thrive at work. And by how do I do it is, um, so that's the corporate part. The monk part is more my, the sense of my being. Who am I? Um, I'm someone who is uh, grounded, who's centered, who focuses on clarity but also focuses on, um, or let's put it that way, who focuses energy in uh, on the 20%, which makes 80% impact. So you won't see me make a lot of waves and so on. It's more uh, someone who's going to walk or walk the path with the person. Um, and in a way, like a monk, is really being non-judgmental, being more accepting, and being um, present to the current situation. Yeah, I love the thought of that. One of the things that I've been saying for some time, especially leaders, but probably everyone, they're not spending enough time in quiet, in, in prayer, meditation, whatever one was. So I could really respect just the being kind of grounded and centered. And uh, because we've got people that are saying things and yelling, screaming anyway. So so I I love the thought of that. Now, somewhere along the way, uh, Manish, who has this role, this very, what I would consider very um, demanding and important role with, you know, 5,000 plus people kind of helping to oversee that, you decided to write a few books. And did you write, did you write both these books during the pandemic or both of them newer? Uh, yeah, during the pandemic. So I set myself an objective of writing one book a year for five years. So I'm one book completed book two, I um, started to write book three now, coming out next year. So um, what I learned from the pandemic is a couple of things. First is we don't learn from experience, we learn by reflecting on the experience. So um, that relates to the monk part, is how do I learn from the reflection? Um, so during the first year of the pandemic, uh, I was really working very hard and I almost had a burnout, you know, so... Um, so I had to pause and reflect on, okay, so what have I been doing and what do I learn from this? Or else I'm going to hit a wall. And that's where I decided to make um, a few uh, sizable changes in my routine. So I started to spend more time on things that um, nourished my soul. Um, like, for example, writing. So I write a lot, uh, especially I post a lot on LinkedIn. I have um, I, uh, been posting on a 
on my own, I would call it hashtag or Shots of Insight, which is the title of the first book. So I've been post writing for the past three years. And from there, so kind of short, short post about a lot of insights, a lot of things that I come across and that which gave rise to the first book. Um, so learning from that experience has um, prompted me to um, keep on sharing and giving back to society by, uh, by writing actually. So that's, that's my way of being, uh, of uh, sharing the le lessons I've learned and opportunities I've been given. So it's for me a way to give back actually. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up something, and, and so this is backtracking only slightly, but you mentioned that early on in the pandemic, you suffered what may almost have been considered burnout, Fair getting enough. close to it, and and so and I, I find the irony that the head of a large organization's human resources would be transparent enough to admit that. I think that's fascinating. Because you know if you were, everyone else probably was not far from that either. If if you could go back, what would you have done differently in your cycles, your routines, or, or anything early on? And here's the reason why I ask it. Let me, let me qualify this. Manish, I would love to say that we are in this rapidly going back to what things looked like in late 2019. I don't think that's the case. Yeah. I think that we are rapidly heading towards more events that may be similar. I hope I'm wrong. I do, but may be similar. That's why when we talk about Disruptor here, I think it's going to be very important and very critical. I think we're heading to more events like this, and I think that every time we think we've got them figured out, we're going to be throwing a curveball that it's going to look really different than the last one. Uh -huh. Looking back... What would you do differently now, knowing what you know two and a half, three years, almost three years later, that you did early on in the pandemic? And it could be personal or business or anything. I'm just curious what wisdom you gained from that. Um, first, a couple of things that I mentioned when I uh, paused and reflected on it. First is uh, take time for yourself. That self-care is not selfish um, and self-care is essential for you to um, thrive in whatever you do. So take time for self-care, and that means finding what works for you. For me, getting up in the morning, writing is almost therapeutical. Uh, it's like a therapy for me. It helps me um, process things. It helps me uh, get stay grounded and get clear and get calm. So this gives me passion. It nourishes me. So that's one. Um, second, be clear on your purpose and which means how am I adding value? Um, so a clear sense of purpose. Um, so for me, again, coming back to, to, to what I do um, in human resources and coaching is helping people uh, grow. And third is having um, a, a regular routine, which uh, helps me um, be effective in what I do. And that means also being clear about what I'm going to say no to. So I'm much more intentional now with my time uh, in including uh, what I say no to. So I've switched off notifications. I've gone off um, TikTok. <laughs> uh, I used to be on that, uh, but it's addictive. So, and I also um, 
uh, learned to say no to um, things that waste my time. Especially, I don't do emails during the day, so I, I block time or need to do to check mails just once a day, and it it frees up. That has allowed me to free up around 30 to 40 percent of my time, which allowed me to really spend time on what really matters to me. So the thing that's powerful about it, first of all, were you a writer? Did you write a good bit before then? Were you already writing, but you just became no. more intentional, or did you start writing around then? Um, I became more intentional and started writing more in the last two years. Mm. I've been meaning to do it, actually. It's been kind of a calling, but there was always something. I was always busy, always a pretext happening around, and so I was just pushing it, procrastinating about it. So, so the thing that I have found that's interesting for me as far as my writing, and I'm, I've got similar goals as you, is that I was going to write uh, a book a year. I'm, I'm already behind, but I, I've got storylines. Mine are novels, which is kind of a, a little bit different, is that I have found that it is impossible to multitask yeah. while I'm writing. I can multitask when I'm doing other things. I probably shouldn't, but when writing... I have to be focused on that. Is that what you found? Well, um, wh one of the things that helped me a lot for the writing is, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you might have read the book, is Deep Work by Cal Newport. Yeah. And where in the book he shares about the different, for example, for writing, there are different ways which can help you. Um, for some people, it's really staying very focused and removing all distractions. For some people, it's finding a routine at the special point in time during the day where they do it. So this is what works for me, actually. I have a sense that for you, then it's really about putting time aside and really focusing um, on your writing, right? Like, a, um, like going through um, uh, a retreat kind of format where you just do focus on that. For me, it doesn't work. Um, so what works for me is um, dedicated time at the same time of the day built as a ritual. So I do it every morning. Um, so that's helped me. Um, and it's helped me stay consistent. And um, the second aspect that I believe is we don't, human beings cannot multitask. What we do actually is task switching. And when we do task switching, it, it uh, drains our mental energy. So the more we do task switch, switching, the, the more tired we become and the least we're able to complete things. So it's really about how do we stay focused. Yeah, and, and I think what's interesting is maybe in some environments, people get many rewards for attempting to do that task switching. But I'm, I don't know if it's the age I'm at or whatever, but I'm just kind of getting the point where I recognize that is not effective for me. I don't get joy from it. You use the term nourish my soul. It doesn't nourish me. I feel more fatigued and, and exhausted after I do that. I do want to emphasize one thing, though, because, you know, as someone who – kind of oversees 5,000 people, when we have conversations like this, I've found that sometimes people are looking for a tactical solution to a purpose or clarity problem. Let me give you an example. You mentioned getting up early and doing some writing. And while I think that has extreme value, and I, I enjoy that also, there might be people that that's not a good fit. Yeah. And so, I, and I may even ask you to address this. I think many times people are looking, they might even listen in on the podcast like this and go, oh, 
Manish, you know, he said to get up early and write. That's what I'm going to do. When they missed the second part of what you said, which was you took time to get clarity about your purpose and what was important to you. So does that trigger anything for you? Do you want to talk about that for just a moment? before? Yeah, definitely. Um, It's related to clarity of mind. You know, when you have a clear mind, um, you become more intentional and you can focus your energy. So that's where it's really like it acts like a laser. Um, and that's what I found personally. Um, so and taking the time to 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 cause and to reflect on things um, and reflect on your experiences allows you to learn. So learning from that means uh, knowing what works for you and what doesn't work for you. I've tried also trying to do a boot camp where if I isolate myself for a week and then I sit down and to write, I realize it doesn't work for me. For some people it works, but for me it doesn't work. I just can't uh, because I'm, I have that kind of mind where if I've done one and a half hours on something, I need to shift to something else. Uh, this is how it, it keeps me energized or else I'll drain, I'll, it drain me out. So, but some, for some people, this is what they need. So really about being clear on what works for you, uh, what energizes you and what allows you to play to your strengths actually. Yeah, and I think that's important. I think many people are just looking for some magic solution when the magic solution is going deeper into determining what works for you. And it could be very different for me and for you. And so uh, what I'd like for you to do now is give just a brief overview of Shots of Insights. I did not read that one, but I want you to tell people what that is. And we'll include a link so people can go. And then I want to do a deeper dive into Disruptor because I think there's a lot of value to what was covered there with where we are today in our culture society. Definitely. Thank you, Tim. So Shots of Insights is um, my first attempt at at writing. And um, so it's a collection of 101 uh, short stories or short uh, short excerpts about life lessons. So it's uh, 101 inspirations to live, lead, and learn better as human beings. So um, so it's 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 like the the metaphor I have for it is you know when you take a shot, a shot of vodka or whatever you drink, it gives you a high, right? So um, so shots of insight is basically short paragraphs, short um, uh, insights of one to two or two, to three pages where you read it, uh, it gives you a, a, a practical, uh, essential insight, something, a new perspective. So that's one. And secondly, it's a book which you can read. Um, you open the book on page 101, you'll get an insight. You, you, tomorrow you can open the book and read page, page 200. It's something else. You get another insight. So you don't need to read it from page one, from cover to cover. It's, uh, it's, it's built like that. Is it, it's, it's more of self-help. Is it yeah. designed maybe for a daily read, or you just open it and go where you think you need to? What 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 did you what were you thinking as you created it? It to me it was a design for a daily read, so uh, so that you can digest it in in bite sized learning and process it as well as apply it based from what I've learned and what has worked for me. Yeah, because we want to remind people that just because a shot gives you a little boost, you don't need to be doing multiple shots at one time. Maybe one shot at a time, get a boost and keep moving on. So, uh, all right, so that's Shots of Insight. We'll include links and people can check that out. But let's go to Disruptor. Uh, I, I, I just finished that book up, 
and and I I want to say I enjoyed all the pieces of it. There's some things that I want to ask specifically about, but obviously this is a little bit of a deeper book than 101 Shots. What was the catalyst for that deeper conversation that you wanted to have with this book? Yeah, so it starts with um, the experience I've had with Rogers, where, as you mentioned, it's like uh, the metaphor you used was trying to to steer uh, the the boat. Um, so uh, it's like a big boat and you're trying to stir it and make it more agile. So it's really about um, our experiments, our experience of how do we shape a more agile culture in an organization? How do we help people, especially um, managers and leaders, to uh, become more agile with change? So really about how do we engage um, people with the notion of adopting a disruptor's mindset instead of being disrupted yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so that, that's, that's a bit the trigger. So is the disruptor more proactive than reactive? And it is more proactive, actually, um, because being agile means being proactive more than being reactive. It means anticipation plus action rather than just action when things happen. So, I think what's, fascinating, what's fascinating about that, Manish, is I think a lot of people's um, dis-ease, if I could use that word over the last few years, is that they have felt disrupted instead of being in control or at least somewhat proactive as that disrupt, disruptor. And I think that's what really causes a lot of angst and challenges for people is that they feel disrupted. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, people feel disrupted because very often we are so busy in our daily lives and people naturally, we, we like comfort, you know, so security and comfort. And uh, that's why, for example, um, when you, set, you, you tell people, you know, step out of your comfort zone, it doesn't work. Actually, what works instead is uh, stretch your comfort zone. You see, so and that, that's a very slight change in your language, which helps people better understand. It's a bit like the same philosophy which Apple used, um, which worked. So, you know, instead of telling people, think outside of the box, you just say, think different. And that works. People get it. So in the same way, um, Disruptor is really about how do you anticipate change? How do you embrace it? And how do you uh, onboard it as something which is uh, an essential element? As the the case I make in it is that... um, the, the state of change in the world is going to keep on increasing. Now, the rate of change keep on increasing, and we, we either you are disrupted by it or you are able to adapt to it and, and, and embrace it as one of the key meta skills that you need to have. Yeah, the, the subtitle was fascinating to me. I think there's a few words we need to address. There's, and if I'm getting this incorrect, let me know, the nine abilities – for the agile leader, I think I think that's roughly yeah. it. Um, and I and I'd love because abilities is a unique word, <laughs> you know, not characteristics, traits, but abilities. And cool. then I do want to go a little bit more into agile. But talk about that word abilities. What was the intent for that usage of that yeah. word? So the usage here is that it's not a personality trait. Uh, if you're disrupted, it doesn't mean you're born with it. You learn for it. You, you, you can learn it. It's a learned behavior. So an ability is something that you can learn. Okay. 
Um, so one of the examples in it, so Disruptor, it's, you, the title um, is it's nine letters. So each one is an acronym, actually. So, for example, D is drive uh, from the future for the future. So how, how do you future pace? You, you project yourself in the future and look backwards. So that's a, a, it's a learned skill that you, you develop with um, outcome setting and as well as uh, projecting yourself. Um, P, for example, is purpose, purpose-driven. So how do you uh, focus on what is the purpose there? Once you are, have a clear sense of purpose, then you'll see things become more clear around, around you. So these are elements, abilities that you can learn and you can develop. That's the good news. You know, you know some people are not naturally better at it than others because it's not a trait. It's, it's really learned behavior. So, I, I, and I'm, so I'm going to follow up with that. So you really believe that these are things that people can learn because there is some school of thought out there that leaders, <laughs> some, are born not made. I want to make sure you really believe that these are abilities people can learn, correct? Correct. Well, the first thing to, to debunk that myth that to me leaders are not born but made, it's that everyone is a leader. Everyone is a self-leader to start with, right? So, um, which means how you lead yourself before leading others. And that becomes a learned behavior. Um, so that's the first element. The second element is everyone is a leader without a title. Uh, again, you can be a change leader, you can be an opinion leader, you can be a thought leader, you can be a service leader. Um, so there are different dimensions that you, you can lead without requiring a title. Yeah. Um, and yeah, please go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, and it, it's interesting. There was, um, well, I, I do want to, before I go into a few, there's some highlights that I have that yeah. I just pulled up here that I want to address and ask about. But that that word, so so at the tail end of that statement, you say leader, and you you will say that everyone, which I, I've said this before, everyone is in a leadership role. I had an interesting situation early on in our podcast, Manish, where I was talking to a, a woman, and she would be mature. I won't use the term elderly, but she was probably in her mid to late 60s, and had a farm and oversaw a lot with her family and was overseeing some some sick siblings and a, and a spouse. And I mentioned to her that I had a pod, podcast on leadership, business, and ministry. And she goes, oh, I'm not a leader. And I'm looking at her going, she's a leader as much as anyone. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that, too. So I just want to emphasize, I believe that everyone is in a leadership role and is in a role to be as you would term a disruptor. But there, there's another word that you mentioned a little bit earlier, and, and I want to make sure we're clear on it because the word agile is thrown around a little bit in the business culture now. And I yeah. do think that people are beginning to understand it more, but talk about the word agile and educate us on what that means. So agility is simply the ability to outperform one's environment. Okay, just to put it simple. To be agile means to outperform your environment. Um, so I'll take the example of sailing. You know, when you're sailing on um, on, on very calm seas, you don't need to be uh, going like this, right? Means um, you you just have to sail. You have to, your level of agility has to be slightly better than the environment around you. So you have to be more active a bit, and that's it. Now, if the seas are choppy, then you have to be slightly better than that in terms of being able to change, to adapt, to 
to navigate your um, your 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 ship uh, or your sailing boat. And if now the seas are very rough, then you really have to um, adapt to be be aware where the wind is coming, what's what the waves around you. So then your level of awareness and your level of requirement to outperform your environment is even more. So agility is really linked to how you see your environment, how you're able to read and understand it, and then from there act accordingly in order to um, to, to be able to outperform it. So that's what agile means in today's world. Mm. And and you, I'll ask it like I asked before, and you believe people can learn that? That's an ability that we can gain or people... Do, do, are some people just naturally more agile than others? The good news is agility is in our DNA as human beings, as a species. Okay, we've been evolving. Um, so uh, uh, because agility, at the end of the way, one way we've, we've looked at it is survival of the fittest, right? But the fittest doesn't mean the strongest. It's the one who has, has the highest ability to adapt. So as a species, human beings have been able to adapt. And what we are not aware of is, we are unconscious of it, is we have a very high level of um, ability to adapt to any situation, to our environment, um, by our ability to think, our ability to be conscious about things. So human beings, by nature, in their DNA, we have a high level of agility. So that's my opinion. You use the analogy, and I don't know if this was the right place, but you use an analogy of an octopus. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know if it was related to agility, but definitely disruption and all that. Share that, because I, I, in all my readings and all my studies, I've never had anyone use that as a metaphor or analysis of share yeah. that. Well, um, the analogy comes from one of the, it's a recent movie, My Octopus Teacher. I'm not sure if you've seen it. If you haven't, I have Watch it on Netflix. Um, it's a great movie, and it's a great lesson about so, someone in South Africa um, who, had, who was feeling a bit lost. He had lost a bit his sense of purpose, his meaning in life, and so he had, he had gone back to um, his childhood home near Cape Town, and he went diving every day. And he's, when he went diving, just to keep himself busy, he met this octopus. And they develop a kind of relationship, symbiotic relationship, where in the end he realized by observing the octopus, he learned a lot and it helped him heal from the trauma that he had gone through and really find a new meaning and purpose. But the, the key element here is about the octopus is uh, how the octopus stays agile in its environment. And if you look at it, um, it's, uh, it's been able to master its environment uh, in a way that... Um, it can grow, grow and thrive uh, in a very hostile environment. So uh, the octopus, if you look at it, doesn't have any vertebrae. So it's it's a mollusk. Uh, no, um, but still is able to survive and uh, and thrive in its environment. So that's for me. That was a very powerful analogy um, because it looks more vulnerable than strong, and human beings happen to be like that. You know. So if we didn't have our ability to think and to collaborate as a society. Uh, if we were still living in the bush, uh, in uh, nature, among wild animals, we would be dead, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Very good. Very good use of something unique that I haven't had. I'll, we'll check that movie out and make sure we may even have some links down in the notes. There is one. So it's My Octopus Teacher, if you're just. My Octopus Teacher will get that. Uh, there's one of your nine abilities that I wanted to spend just a little bit of time on mm-hmm. before we finish up here. We've got a few minutes left. 
Because for me, it's the one, you know, when you're reading through things, there's something that jumps out at you. It's like, ooh, this is a big problem either with a current client that I'm interacting with, which is correct, or with our bigger culture at large, which I think is also correct. And that is, you, you brought up the disruptors practice straight talk. Oh, and I'll, I'm going to read one quote on that, and then I want us to have a conversation about it as we finish up here. You say, disruptors speak up. This is a highlight that I've got. I don't know which page is on. I'm in my Kindle. Disruptors speak up with open minds and with honesty because they understand it's always in the best interest of their teams, their company, and their I think their organizations that cut off there. Um, their company and themselves. If people are sincere and express their thoughts in a mindful manner, then all will benefit. So as I'm reading this, Manish, I'm not disagreeing with it, but I'm a bit discouraged by what I see in our culture. And again, I'm working with some, <laughs> I'm working with some organizations right now that we are working on being better at straight talk. And I'll yeah. go ahead and say it this way. I, I think that in times that are different than what we've seen the last two to three years, I think people can get away with being a little bit sloppy, not yeah. being as fine-tuned in their talk and a lot of the other abilities that you're talking about. But in the times we're in, people have got to. I mean, I think I heard it said recently that good leaders could get great results a few years ago. Now great leaders are struggling to get even mediocre or good results just because there's so much headwinds against us. But I get discouraged when I look at politicians and the way speak, people speak in public. And I think that we've become cynical as a culture about mm -hmm. talk and communication. So I think this is something that's really missing. Talk a little bit about that and how can we shift how can we shift to it? Because I think that people are just getting out of the habit of being able to do this. Well, um, I think it's an important, it's a, it's a life skill. And it's also a very important leadership skill. Um, another word for it is having the courageous conversations. You know, so, and actually, straight talk, in a way, happens to be three conversations in one. Yeah, where first you really talk about uh, what you observed, so what are you, your, your honest observations? What have you seen differently what others haven't seen? And it's an important one. Um, second is um, then the impact, the implications, which looks at the facts or the emotions and the feelings part. And the third conversation is then the future. So how do we work about it? What's the, what's the way forward for what would be better outcomes and so on? So, uh, and it's essential today uh, more than ever to have these conversations because um, if we don't speak up, then someone else is going to, uh, to, to dominate it. And today, the one who uh, is able to command um, airspace, airtime, um, is the one who gets most attention. So even if introverts, you um, don't speak up a lot, but when you speak up, it makes sense. And, you, and these are techniques, these are things which are learned, right? I'm an introvert by nature. Um, I've been non-confrontational by nature, but with time, I've learned the skills to be able to speak my mind and to set the frames uh, in a way which allows people, for me, it's really, the straight talk is really a conversation that matters. It's really that. It's really, it's a shift in my mind that, okay, this is a conversation that matters that I need to have now. Um, because if I don't say it, 
then there might be consequences for me, but for everyone else. So it's important that we, we share that in a disruptive mindset, in a disruptor's mindset, or else we'll just be disrupted by others. Do you, do you notice, you mentioned some of the different generation generations earlier, do you notice some differences in the, the current abilities that people have, it, it relates to that straight talk, that might cause challenges? I just think about, you know, I've got grown children, and it seems like generations have different styles of of communication are you noticing that especially in the area that you oversee definitely uh you we see from two angles one is by generations and one the second one is by culture so different parts of the world different cultures some cultures tend to be more upfront more confrontational more straight talk and some cultures tend to be less about it more about consensus and face and so on so that's one but from a generational perspective, yes, you can generalize the fact that younger generations, so Gen Z, Gen Y, especially Gen Z, tend to speak up their mind more because they've been, they've been educated in a world where you have access to information, uh, everything is readily available, and, and they're much more resourceful in a way. Um, and uh, in a generation which embraces diversity also, because once you have diversity, Diversity of people also helps create that kind of straight talk and that kind of uh, contribution. So, yes, definitely, we're seeing the shift more and more um, with you newer generations. Yeah, one thing, and I'll, we'll close on maybe a slightly controversial thing. One of the things that is bothersome to me about the current political culture, probably all over, but especially in the United States, is that for the longest time we had politicians that spoke political language, which was telling the people what they want to hear. And then, you know, uh, the president before the current president we have here in the United States kind of broke that mold and spoke in a very different way. That What I believe is people thought that was straight talk. Yeah. (laughs) Or it came across as straight talk. At least it was different. It It shook it up. And so my concern about it, Manish, is that we have some really poor models of what straight talk really is. And so with things like your book and with leaders, we need to work very hard to give examples of what straight talk should look like. Because I could tell you in the political structure here in the U.S., and I don't care which side you're on, there's not a good example of straight talk. Mm-hmm. Which you, and you could agree or disagree <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think one of the best examples I can share about straight talk is Nelson Mandela. You know, um, when he re- united um, South Africa just after apartheid and, and said, you know, it's a difficult place where we're in at the moment. But my objective, my goal is to create the rainbow nation. So how do we unite everyone together under one common purpose? How do we um, um, access forgiveness? but also uh, build a, a newer nation moving forward. And Nelson Mandela is not someone who uh, used to bullshit people around, who had all kinds of political language, but he just spoke from the heart and spoke truth in a meaningful way. So that's if you're looking for an example, look no further. There are many examples of how he communicated uh, with straight talk. Yeah, I think that's a great example. And I want to I want to acknowledge that I love the example of the movie Invictus that you used in the book, which is a great movie. And it had me flashing back to I was able to visit 
South Africa and Johannesburg and Pretoria and stood there where Nelson Mandela took office. And I visited in 96, so it was a few years later, but it was a pretty powerful, uh, powerful scene, and, and I enjoyed doing that. And your book gave me a flashback to when I was, when I was in that part of the world. So uh, I do want to ask, Manish, a great book. I love Disruptor, but you mentioned you're working on another one. Can you give us a little glimpse into what uh, your next project is? Yes, uh, the next project is um, related to the world of, it, of entrepreneurship, but more intrapreneurship. So again, related to change, but how do you create intrapreneurs in, within organizations who you see opportunities and you're able to help uh, secure and uh, scale up those opportunities? So the book uh, actually is called Architects of Opportunity. So, um, so it's really about how do you um, execute successfully opportunities that you spot? So uh, how do you eye it, how do you enhance it, and how do you execute it? Uh, very good. Well, we'll look forward to uh, to seeing that and getting information on that And because I, I enjoy Disruptor. And let me ask this. Where can people find you? Where do they need to get your information? Where can they get your books? Just let us know. We'll have the links and everything down below. But uh, but where can they get in touch with you? So they can get in touch with me on LinkedIn. So I'm active on LinkedIn. Um, so I post every two to three days uh, using my the hashtag Shots of Insights. And also, um, the books, you'll find it on Amazon. So it's on Kindle, uh, as well as hardcover and paperback. And very soon, the audiobook also will be up uh, in, in a month's time for both yeah. books. Are you, are you doing the audiobook, or did you get someone else to do the read? I got someone else to do the read, especially, uh, you, can, you can imagine my accent is a bit French, so it's not <laughs> word fly with everyone, so it's better to, to play safe there and have someone. <laughs> The more neutral accent. That's interesting. People ask, say, oh, did you, did you do your own audiobook? I said, that's, you know, writing's a different muscle. And doing that, there are people that are pros at that. Let's get, let's get other people to do that. So, excellent. I think audiobooks are a great, uh, great avenue and tool. So, all right, we are Seek, Go, Create, Manish. I gave you a little bit of heads up on this. I'm going to give you one of those words, Seek, Go, or Create. Why would you choose that word over the other two and why? So, to me, it's the same word I chose when we started, for me, it's seek, you know, and, and it's, it's something that has changed my life uh, in, a, in a very positive way is the answers that you seek are within you. That's why I chose seek. Mm-hmm. The answers that very you seek are within you. Yeah, the powerful thing about that is it goes back to the being mindful and, and all that you brought up earlier. So not surprising. Manish, thank you so much for this conversation. I've enjoyed it. It's very late evening where you are, early where I'm at. We're on opposite side of the world, but what a great conversation we've had. It's my hope that these conversations can maybe bridge some of those distances just a little bit. Just a little bit, we could have some communications about it. I recommend that people get this book, Disruptor, The Nine Abilities of the Agile Leader, because I believe we're going to experience more disruption, and you want to be a disruptor and have a more proactive approach as opposed to reactive approach. I appreciate everyone listening in. I want to remind you to go to our website, seekgocreate.com, as I did at the beginning, for extensive notes, all the details, the things we mentioned. You'll have links there that you can go and find. Also, make sure we've got your email address. We have new episodes every Monday here at Seek, Go, Create. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.